and a two. It is time for Perhaps It's You, your ultimate, all-time favorite Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast, perhaps even your favorite podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Samantha. We're here saying hello to our friends, our enemies, to B.B. Wong, to everyone listening. Hello. Welcome. I'm trying to imagine this being someone's favorite podcast. It's, I've heard it said. Wow. That blows my I mind. I know. I don't know why. Sorry. I mean, we've been doing this for like a million years now. I don't know why that blows my mind for some reason. Of course, we must be someone's favorite podcast. Probably I've like heard... four people. Yeah, Not well... even the five. <laughs> Just like. <laughs> <laughs> of the five, four of them are like, yeah, sure. That's my favorite. Whatever. That's a meaningless phrase. Uh, let me read, though. Perhaps you've forgotten our newest review. This is so positive. It's nice this to get a from... positive review. <laughs> Maggie Fiasco says, and this is a question we've all been thinking. I know I've been thinking it. Why is this so good? Good question. I don't know. know. How, How do we achieve such sonic excellence? Hard to say. The review continues. Randomly stumbled upon this podcast and have been nonstop binging it ever since. Hilarious. So entertaining. I want to hang out with these ladies. I love them so much. Holy F. I promise that's not my sock puppet account. I didn't write this review. <laughs> I didn't either. And I think all reviews. Okay. We only accept five star reviews. So good job there. But also I think from now on all reviews should end holy F. I just think that's an amazing way to, to end it. The great thing about the phrase holy F is that it could be good or bad. Right. Like, that is a very versatile <laughs> phrase. I was recently. Like, wow. There's a show on Netflix that's the history of swear words. Travis, oh, it, yeah. we honestly found it kind of boring. But the first episode is about the word fuck. And the main thesis of that episode was that fuck is just a very versatile swear word. It really word. is. It can really mean a whole host of emotions. Not even just good or bad. Like everything in between. <laughs> you can use fuck in pretty much every sentence and it makes sense adjective verb you know it, it's so versatile mm-hmm. and yeah it can be really positive or negative i just there's a pleasure in swearing that i can't fully explain just i guess it's just a little vice that it i'm not swearing so much for emphasis as i am just swearing for my own enjoyment it brings me joy in this cold dark world to curse a lot and there and therefore i do so holy f holy f indeed (laughs) um did you have any updates no i feel like i did and then i forgot but one thing i wanted to say that i keep forgetting is that xenep reminded me remember when we had that mystery about the jailbreak and they threw those molotov cocktails and they didn't work yes Xenop reminded me, and I forget what the word for this is, but you have to scratch the glass. Oh, score it. Yes, you have to score it. You have to do that because bottles are kind of designed to not break. You don't want them to break, usually. So you have to make the glass easier to break if you want a successful Molotov cocktail. This is not a tutorial. We're not no, telling I'm just, you to I'm make explaining. a Molotov cocktail, but this may be why their Molotov cocktails didn't work. So, you know. Exactly. 
just take that for we're just gonna put that information out there score scoring the bottle is score the bottle first to make it step. easier to break up yep. and also in that episode we had lamented that our parents or grandparents hadn't taught us how to properly make molotov cocktails and then i remembered that my mom has actually told me as a child that you have to score the bottle first <laughs> So I take that back, Mom. Thank you for sharing your infinite wisdom. We're like now passing that down ourselves. Yes, exactly. Our listeners. Molotov cocktails will not work, probably, if you don't take the extra care to score the glass first. And I don't think that these escaped fugitives knew that. They didn't have a Zenip or my mom in their life to tell them. It's It's a a sad tale, really. it's, It's sad. They didn't have that that wisdom <laughs> passed down to them. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm just stalling. Um, should we get started? I suppose. <laughs> now that I've read that wonderful review and... Taught our listeners how to make a Molotov cocktail. I didn't give them all the steps. I, it's just a, a little tidbit. It's a little anecdote. True. Um, you have... Okay, so we're on season six, episode 14... If you're following along at home you can watch this for free on youtube there's that whole pluto amazon st- no not amazon not you don't have to watch amazon because pluto has a whole 24-hour unsolved mysteries channel you don't need them anymore you Move can on. just watch nothing but unsolved mysteries marathons yeah. of it yeah and it won't damage your brain at all that's what we're here to show you it definitely won't make you question any of your life decisions or no never only that that only happens when you decide to make an unsolved mysteries rewatch podcast but just Um, watching hours and hours of unsolved mysteries that's fine yeah yeah actually having an unsolved mysteries podcast kind of ruins that so i feel like if your love for unsolved mysteries is pure and true don't taint it i would agree don't don't find a way to make watching tv work yeah, why did we do that? <laughs> I don't know. That when you sit down, you're like, I have to take notes on this? God damn. Ugh. Blah. Blah. All right, well, I have the first mystery, and it's the unexplained. And literally, my first note is pan flute, explanation point. <laughs> this is about the the wild, wild west. We know that Robert Stack loves a wild west mystery because he always waxes poetic about cowboys and sand. and um, So, and of course... Behind that is a pan flute. Naturally. Always. It's gotta always. be there. This I means- wish sometimes they'd get one of those wooden frogs where you rub the thing down its back. They should use one of those. For- <laughs> Robert's dad comes out and is just <laughs> playing one of those wooden frogs. <laughs> that would be amazing. He doesn't even say anything for like five minutes. He just- <laughs> he's just he's doing a solo. Sales of those wooden frogs would have skyrocketed the next day. That's true. For people that have like a kiosk at the mall, that would have been such a uh, windfall for them. Real missed opportunity. (laughs) So like I said, this is the unexplained. This is the mystery of the San Pedro mummy. You heard that right. Mummy. Finally, we get a mummy mystery. And I would like to know if any of our five listeners are the same as me and just find the subject of mummies funny for some reason. (laughs) Like... A pun. I'm not really into puns unless they're about mummies. 
or like bad like popsicle stick dad jokes not really that interested unless it's about mummies and then i'm like hello i don't know if it's just the word mummy is funny i don't know but i i'm with you i find the fact that this is a mystery about a tiny mummy just inherently hilarious it's it's not funny at all and actually it's problematic in a lot of ways but for some reason i do kind of find the notion of a tiny mummy pretty funny we're like oh finally fully articulate why there's also it just has this like childhood connection i think that like if you're gonna grow up to be kind of a morbid weirdo that as a child mummies are one of the first kind of macabre things Mm -hmm. you can learn about without really like drawing a lot of suspicion (laughs) that you can be like a kid super into ancient egypt and that's like makes sense it's not like you're you know trying to teach yourself taxidermy or something (laughs) that's the next it's a gateway drug to being Mm -hmm. a a weirdo yeah Yeah. there could be something there so robert stack says the american west a magical land with a rich (laughs) and colorful past is it magic to Robert Stack, it is. Is is like Scottsdale, Arizona magic? <laughs> to Robert Stack, maybe it was. All he right. describes it as a magical land while a pan flute plays. <laughs> For I'm many. just picturing him holding one of those frogs. <laughs> Talking about how the, the American don't, West is a don't, magical don't. land. Yep. So Robert Stack goes on to say, for many, the American West conjures images of outlaws, cowboys, and buried treasure. Of course he would say buried treasure. His quote continues, but for Native Americans, this is ancient ground steeped in a history that defies conventional belief and logic. Which I think is kind of rude. (laughs) Weirdly dismissive and judgmental. Defies conventional belief and logic? Yeah, it's it's pretty racist. you, You didn't realize that, like colonizers have the uh the rule over convention and logic <laughs> which is kind of what that mystery oh, i just kind of what that's saying yeah well, we're about to whitewash this whole thing so i guess it's, oh, okay. it's well, starting off on in that direction this is your segment i'll let you worry about that <laughs> robert stack tells us that for generations native americans have told stories of small this I want to emphasize that this is Robert Stack telling us this. Small supernatural beings able to perform feats of, quote, amazing physical strength. He says that these beings stood two feet tall. And he goes on to tell us that, quote, the pioneers scoffed at what they considered tall tales, but that that all changed in 1932 when two men prospecting in Wyoming made a startling discovery. Mm-hmm. I really don't trust Unsolved Mysteries with this research at all. That's what I was about to say. Like, I've never heard of this. They call Unsolved Mysteries calls it the little people legend. I've never I've never heard of this, but I don't trust Unsolved Mysteries to accurately convey this this mythology whatsoever and we hear from a lot of white people in this segment. So what what tribe had this story? All of them? Okay. <laughs> what? The whole thing is is troubling. So a researcher named Eugene Bashore, uh, this guy, we'll, we'll get to his story later, but he saw the mummy when he was like 12. He has a scruffy mustache and tells oh, us yeah. the story of Cecil Maine and Frank Carr. Did you name his mustache? It was kind of mediocre, to be honest. It's a slightly Western mustache. It comes down a little bit further than people who don't live in the West would <laughs> grow their mustache. And I called it, yes, ladies, he's single. 
it's kind of mean, honestly. I also, I don't know that that's true. He could be married to two people. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't know. All we know is he's really into this mummy. So this guy, uh, Eugene, with a scruffy mustache, tells us that Cecil Maine and Frank Carr were amateur prospectors exploring the San Pedro Mountains in Wyoming when they found a six-inch tall mummified human in a sitting position. They left, but a few days later, Cecil Maine returned to the cave alone. And Robert Stack says, quote, paying no heed to the notion that the cave was a sacred Indian burial site, Maine snatched the the mysterious mummy for himself. Wow. Mummy theft, everyone. Yes. Uh, So ever since... (laughs) I forgot I wrote down, maybe if you steal mummies, you should die. (laughs) Well, uh, supposedly... Everyone who possessed this mummy from here on out is cursed and dies under mysterious circumstances. We hear none of those stories. We just have to assume <laughs> that's true. I bet it is. We don't hear any of those stories. Apparently, all kinds of people have dropped dead after possessing this mummy. Don't I don't know the background. Who were they? We're How did told. they die? It doesn't matter. Did Cecil Maine die after possessing the mummy? I don't know because we're not told. You think that would add to the mystery, but... We don't have time for that. You're getting really bogged down in details, Samantha. (laughs) You can't even see the big picture, which is mummy theft. So Cecil Main stole this artifact. um, And Robert Stack says that it's been an object of great controversy and mystery ever since. It's also quite little. It's very little. It's uh, six inches tall. Okay, this is weird. Eugene describes it as six inches tall and i think robert stack later describes it as seven in- 17 inches tall however robert stack also helpfully tells us that it's the height of a coffee table <laughs> well coffee that's tables not- come in all kinds of different sizes i don't know how that helps me at all <laughs> that's not something that varies in height thank you robert stack okay so- i'm guessing it seemed bigger than six inches but which you know very small for a human yeah, it's it's a very small mummy. It's anywhere between 6 to 17 inches and approximately the size of a coffee table. Wow. The height of a coffee table. If that helps you. IKEA employee Robert Stack helping you out there. So speaking of Robert Stack, he comes out and is on screen in some sort of quarry. Yeah. I'm not sure where he is, but it doesn't Do you seem think like- the cr- Do you think the crew just left him there to dry out for a while? <laughs> Possibly. Stack in the car. We're going to the quarry. And he's like, not again. This doesn't seem like their most high dollar location, but there's some rocks and weeds in the background. <laughs> so Rarosak tells us that the mummy has changed hands several times over the years and that, quote, unsubstantiated rumor has it that each owner has died under mysterious circumstances. Well, see, it's not substantiated. That's why they didn't tell you, Samantha. They don't yes, want to fill your you head with lies. Story. Yeah, like the rest of this is... <laughs> complete truth my note was karma question mark yeah seems like it might be so the last owner as far as anyone knows disappeared with the mummy 20 years ago and robert stack says that those who believe in the legend of quote the little people claim a curse is responsible i mean i wouldn't believe that someone who would steal a mummy might engage in other behavior that could lead to their death no why would you think that i don't know I, I'm saying I don't. I wouldn't think that because that would be na- naive. So Earl Murray, another white guy, tells us that many Native American people have told him that there are specific ways they bury their dead. And this the way that they found wow. this mummy is not in line with... Okay. Again, 
who is he talking to? All all of them? <laughs> yeah. Is this guy is just like, look, I I have a couple friends, okay? I honestly and don't they, even believe that. And they they vouch for me. And you go, hmm. Yeah. It'd be nice to hear from one of them, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he claims that this mummy is in a quote different position than what was typical. My note is just not sure who this guy is. <laughs> who are you? And why I are you truly talking? I don't know. He's an author, I guess. So All Robert's right. deck becomes a little blunt at this point and he says however cecil main didn't really care what the mummy was he was looking to sell it wow which is true seems like of course that's why he took it uh you know pillage so he found a willing buyer in homer sherrill who is an insurance salesman in 1932 he bought the mummy for 25 dollars, and i googled it and that would be about 495 dollars today Still seems like a good deal. It does, actually. And he took it on the road and charged people 25 cents, which would be approximately $5 today, to walk past the mummy for about 30 seconds. Okay, that seems like a very bad deal. (laughs) But this reenactment of this guy explaining how it was hard to get his dad to give him 25 cents so he could go see this mummy, which now learning that's $5, I kind of get it. But there's this amazing sign on the tent that said, come see the amazing mummy, like this huge banner. And I want that. <laughs> that would be great for nostalgia. Yeah. yeah. It does seem like he just pulled up in like the nearest field and set up this tent and then just, yeah, hawked. Took, took money, advantage money. of, uh, I'm, I'm imagining a bunch of children spending their like paper boy money. They're like, good thing I've been delivering these papers. Now I can see a mummy for 30 seconds. This So this is where Eugene, uh, prickly mustache, um, this is where he saw the mummy. And he says that you were pretty much like ushered in and then like quickly pushed out. That doesn't make me think it's very real. No, not really. Just it doesn't land at this mummy. <laughs> it doesn't land a lot to its credibility that you weren't allowed to look at it for like a full minute. <laughs> Look at this mummy out of the corner of your eye. (laughs) While you wear these sunglasses. Now go. So uh, the mummy is described as having a flattened skull and brown skin with wisps of gray hair coming from the back of its head. And you can Google it. There are photos of the mummy out there on the interwebs. So the mummy was seen by many people, but wasn't scientifically studied until 1950. Mm-hmm. At that point, the mummy was in the possession of a used car dealer named Ivan Goodman. <laughs> that makes sense. Yep. Okay. I don't know what happened to Homer Cheryl. Uh, according to unsubstantiated rumors, he died of mysterious circumstances, but don't know what those were. He and died I, uh, a, a karma mummy death. Apparently. I mean, I hope so, but I don't actually know. So this used car dealer named Ivan Goodman brought the mummy to Dr. Paul Martin at the Chicago Museum of Natural History to be analyzed. Someone tells us that the analysis done of the mummy in 1950 was good for the time. Okay, they took photographs and x-rays. The x-rays revealed that the mummy had a full skeleton and a full set of teeth. Yeah, a a lot is made of this full set of teeth. The teeth are not in the jaw. Yeah, I'm not sure... Yeah, what that's all about, because we do sort of have an explanation for this, but you can see the x-rays as well if you Google it. It has a little skeleton. 
so the mummy looked like a tiny adult. I wonder if it was six inches tall sitting, but if you like stretched it out, it was 17 inches six tall. Six inches is, yeah, okay. I don't know. Anyway, it's a small, tiny human mummy. So the mummy did appear to be a tiny adult, but Dr. Martens concluded that the remains were an, of an infant who had been born with a condition known as anencephaly. This is from Healthline.com. I got the definition of anencephaly. It's a birth defect in which the brain and bones of the skull don't form completely while the baby is in the womb. As a result, the baby's brain, particularly the cerebellum, develops minimally. And so what happens is these babies are born with a small head. And they do kind of look like miniature adults, um, which is sort of, I think, the, the theory is that's why people think that this is like a tiny, fully formed adult human, but it's just 17 inches tall. That's probably not the case. It was probably born with this condition that makes it appear like an adult, but it was really an infant with this condition. I mean, that would make a lot of sense. I'm not even sure there's really another theory put forth. No. Uh, Eugene, uh, who seems like he's made this mummy his life's work or something. I honestly <laughs> don't know what kind of credentials he has other than he saw it when he was 12. Uh, he argues that the malformed skull could have been the result of a severe blow to the head. I mean, I guess... Yeah, I guess. This is is where they bring up the teeth. So Eugene points out that the mummy had a full set of teeth, which you would not expect to see in an infant. And I guess that's fair. We never hear anyone, we we never hear anyone, like, dispel that or put forward, put forth a, like, a reason why it would have a full set of teeth. But I know that even babies have teeth, like, up in their skull. Like, they don't just appear. Like, they kind of come down. So I don't know if, like, over time, through decomposition, the teeth would appear closer to where they would in an adult or something. I'm not really sure. And no one addresses it in the show, but I think that's a possibility. Anyway, uh, this Dr. George Gill from earlier, Mm -hmm. um, he disagrees and he doesn't address the teeth thing. Like I said, but he does say that he has had multiple experts examine the images and they all agree that it's an infant and that uh, anencephaly uh, is a, a probable explanation for uh the way that it looks he has a mustache did you name his mustache a pointy mustache it's called the little mummy <laughs> that's fitting i mean it's kind of obvious so in the fall of 1950 goodman loaned the museum or the mummy to the uh curator of the new york museum his name was dr wadler Goodman wanted to prove that the mummy shared a genetic link to the pygmy peoples of Africa. All right. I wrote on, thankfully, this is not explored further in the show. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Because I agree. Because died of a stroke before he could finish this, quote, research, and the museum kept the mummy. However, Dr. Wadler disappeared with it. Like, I don't know if he kept it in his personal possession he he clearly took it when he left the museum i'm not exactly sure what arrangement they had but he fucked off with it well it seems like this guy lent it to him maybe not officially like through the museum so when he died he was just like all right i guess i have this mummy now like there's it didn't seem like there was a lot of paperwork no definitely not so this segment is here to remind you that if you are in possession of a mummy Make sure you include that in your will. What do you want to happen to that mummy? Yeah, you need to you need to <laughs> let people know because otherwise it'll just disappear as this mummy. So yeah. this Dr. Wadler fucked off and later it was discovered <laughs> that he had moved to Florida. But at the time of the segment, no one had, had seen from him in like 20 years. 
So Unsolved Mysteries Wiki claims that he died in 1980 and that it's not known what happened to the mummy after his death. Um, this case was featured on the series Monumental Mysteries. I don't know if that was a Discovery Channel thing or what. Uh, but in the, as a part of that show, it was revealed that um, a, a couple realized that they had a similar mummy in their possession that also originated from the San Pedro mm. Mountains. And then the analysis of their remains showed that the mummy was that of an infant dating back several thousand years that suffered from anencephaly. Whoa. Um, while the original remains have never been found, it's believed that they both share the same characteristics. So that's interesting. That's actually interesting. I didn't realize it would be so old. Yeah. thousands of years interesting mm-hmm. okay well i'm glad i didn't have to deal with that good job samantha now once again i have a very depressing mystery to share with you dear listeners and if today was a day that you didn't want to face institutional racism i don't know what to tell you except this episode is not for you so we have an unexplained death that in a way is very very explained It starts off by Robert Stack telling us that there is a scandal brewing in Mississippi. And what he is referring to is an investigation ordered by the Justice Department that was over the span of five years, no fewer than 48 inmates in Mississippi jails, half of them black, had died under mysterious circumstances. 48. 48 in only five years. Every single one of those was a hanging, ruled a suicide. And so Unsolved Mysteries is profiling only one of those 48 cases. So this is the death of Andre Jones. This was from the summer of 1992. Andre Jones was only 18 years old and about to start his freshman year of college. His mother, Esther, was the president of the local branch of the NAACP, and his father was a minister with the Nation of Islam. So it does seem like he came from kind of a powerful family in the black community, which is probably relevant. So this begins Saturday August 22nd at 1 a.m. In Brandon, Mississippi, Andre and his girlfriend were stopped at a routine sobriety checkpoint. Andre was driving his friend's pickup truck and consequently did not have um, the vehicle registration. It turns out later that this pickup truck was stolen, but there's no reason to know or believe that Andre knew that his friend had stolen it. But anyway, at the time, he just didn't have the registration for that vehicle. Um, So at once, he's then arrested. Andre... At 1.30 a.m., Andre's girlfriend calls his parents to let them know that he's been arrested. By 2 a.m., Andre himself calls home to say that he does, still doesn't know what he's being charged with. At 4 a.m., Andre calls home again to say he's being transferred to Simpson County Jail, 40 miles south of Jackson. At that time, he still did not know his charges. Simpson County refused to talk to Andre's parents and also told them that they weren't even allowed to come to the jail. Which is wild i think part of the problem is that while an 18 year old is a child i mean legally he was an adult so um i think there was a bit of a barrier that the police used to keep his parents out of yeah what was going on okay so that night an officer arrives at their home with a paper message for andre's mom and in the reenactment it's like So a white officer comes to the door. He's literally holding a sloop of paper. And he's like, I have a message for Mrs. Jones. And Mr. Jones answered the door. And he was like, well, I'm her husband. I'll just give it to her. And he's like, no, I have to hand it to her directly. Why any of this? I have no idea. So then she comes to the door in her bathrobe. This is, again, in, like, the middle of the fucking night. 
or very early in the morning, really. And so she gets the note and it's literally only a phone number, which was the number for the Simpson County Jail. When she calls that number, she's casually informed that Andre is dead and that he had committed suicide. This whole thing is bizarre because they have her address. They want her to call them. Why you can't call her? Why you do? Why this is how you go about it? Why was it her and not the dad? Like that's another good question. Why? Why do they show up at the door and they're like, "No, it has to be your wife that I hand this to." Why? Is it because she works for the NAACP, or is it just like, "No, no, we'd prefer your your mother got this horrible news." Like it's a, it's so strange. Okay. So um, we are told that Andre never suffered from suicidal tendencies and was not even depressed. Um, there's like no medical records of anything that would be relevant and that he had never been arrested previously. So now we hear from the police why they arrested Andre. The police claimed that Andre stopped short of the checkpoint and just threw a gun out the window as you do. Mm-hmm. And then when the police came up to the vehicle to ask him if he had thrown a gun in plain sight was an open beer can. And then they found out the truck had been stolen. So then we sort of, there's a debate of whether or not Andre knew the truck had been stolen. And his father was like, if he knew it was stolen, why would he just be driving it around for a week? Um, there's no need for any of this. This is such, Oh my God. Okay. So we now hear from Andre's girlfriend, Tanisha, and she says that she didn't know the truck was stolen. She doesn't believe that Andre did either, but that none of those other things happened. So he did not throw a gun out the window. Oh, you don't say. (laughs) In in front of the police? He didn't throw a gun at the police while chugging a beer? Yeah. He didn't have an open... He didn't pull up to a sobriety checkpoint with an open beer either. Um, Tanisha says that after the officer at the checkpoint heard Andre's name... They huddled together, like they were deciding what to do, and then returned to the truck to ha- to handcuff Andre and also shackle his feet, which is super unnecessary and demeaning. Um, the police deny that last part. They say they didn't shackle his feet, but obviously we can't trust them for anything. Um, they say that he was Andre was extremely cooperative and even admitted to being in a gang. Oh, really? <laughs> and showed them gang hand signs. Which they photographed. However, when Unsolved Mysteries repeatedly asked to see these photographs of Andre demonstrating various gang signs, they couldn't show them for reasons. Did Andre also uh, uh, claim to do bank robberies? (laughs) He killed JFK. He he rolled those boys in front of the tracks. Yeah, Yeah, he was responsible for that. smoking 40 marijuana cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. There's no other evidence in the photographs. We're not allowed to see that Andre was in a gang. Uh, his mother tells us that he was a person with high aspirations and had no, quote, need or desire to be in a gang, which I think is a good way to put that. Like, people do join gangs for various reasons, but those weren't really aspects of Andre's life. Um, he was ready to go to college. Like, he wasn't, whatever so sad okay so these were the counts that like basically after his death they finally got around to figuring out what rj was going to be charged with and it was these four counts which was driving a truck whose id number had been altered carrying a concealed weapon possession of stolen license plate tags and driving with an open container of alcohol 
does any of this warrant arresting an 18 year old in the middle of the night like is it the okay even if any of that was true which right i would just like to remind everyone that the police can say whatever they want like they weren't wearing cameras even now like the police will give one explanation and then when video footage comes out that says oh oh absolutely it's completely opposite it's like well okay well if you weren't being recorded that would just be the police report yes we see that we see an example of that practically every day so i don't know why i'm supposed to like believe the word of the police over the word of his girlfriend or anyone else involved like they're clearly not trustworthy if they were trustworthy we would see these photos of him demonstrating gang signs, but and no, they're not. If we had shows. photos of him demonstrating gang signs, you think they that, can just force him to do that? Yeah, I mean, also that pictures totally ridiculous. Why would he volunteer that information? Why would he be like, "Oh yeah, by the way, this is the gang sign for this"? Which, by the way, here's I, some more incriminating things about me. Like, and also just like sh- that's not how gangs. I, it's not like sign language. Like he didn't need. To- <laughs> He like I realize that gangs have like some hand signals to it's not like a whole thing you need to decode. It's not that complicated. Like this like, is on yeah. Here's the code for this, and here's the code for that. No! This is a bit more of classic fear-mongering, where it's like, oh no, if you wave to someone on the street, you're gonna get shot because it's a gang sign. Oh my god, my school was so ridiculous about that, like my middle school. Or does anybody else go to this to like a Six Flags in the '90s that had all these signs about how you had to wear a baseball cap completely forward or completely b- backwards because they were convinced <laughs> if you wore it at any, which was this was like kind of a trend to like wear it like a little bit to one side. They were like convinced that meant you were in a gang. Or that meme that, w- that went around for a long time where it was like, "Don't flash your brights at someone because it's oh a gang God. initiation and you're gonna get shot." So oh my absurd God. and not true. Just rumors. Yeah, that's a, that's a true. There's a like post satanic panic, like 80s, 90s suburban mom gang panic, which was like literally anything you do was gonna make a gang member angry and and kill you. As if they want to kill you, by the way. As if killing white suburban moms would be good for the gang. <laughs> Like, that wouldn't bring unwanted attention onto them. That they're like, I don't know, that white suburban mom is wearing purple, and that's not our colors. Let's fucking shoot her in the face. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, fear-mongering about different color combinations or, like, Mm -hmm. bandanas or... Oh, yeah, in my school, you couldn't wear either red or blue. Well, you couldn't wear hats because gangs. But you also, like, couldn't wear specifically, like, either red or blue hats. We were so absurd. Told that if you wore Nike Jordans into Chicago proper, that you would be killed for them. <laughs> that people would fucking murder you and take your hundred dollar shoes. Moms, please. A, just a little thought. I know it's a it's a scary world. It's a dangerous world. Horrible things happen, but it's much more likely your your son's gonna get railroaded by the police <laughs> than wear the wrong colored bandana. And I don't, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, that's really whatever. True. I'm sure we're complaining to people that are like, "Yeah, we know. <laughs> we don't do that." <laughs> that's true. Okay, so we hear that other inmates 
at the jail heard officers use racial slurs to intimidate Andre by saying things like, do you know what happens when slur steals a white man's truck? Like stuff like that. Um, Basically saying you're going to get killed. Yeah. Like it's practically a confession. Okay. The county jail that Andre was transferred to, which it's also not clear why he was transferred, but the the jail he was transferred to had a reputation for being dangerous. Andre was found hanging by a shoelace in a shower stall. Um, I really doubt that a shoelace is strong enough to hold the body of an 18-year-old male. Um, yeah, what do I know? But I really watched this and I could not square it. It makes no sense. But even a if shoelace. you go, if you, even if you're like, well, Liz, little did you know, those were really strong shoelaces. It's like, okay, but the grate that the shoelace was tied to was also eight feet off the ground. So maybe he could have like touched it. He could have like jumped and tapped it. <laughs> but could he have tied a shoelace to it in order to hang himself? Yeah, that in makes a sh- no sense. How yeah. would you get up there? He's no. not nine feet tall. So even Unsolved Mysteries is like, yeah, he wouldn't have been able to reach. And then a pathologist comes on to disagree, but doesn't explain how. He's just like, oh, he would have been able to. How, bitch? So, yeah, that's that was the first pathologist um, that's involved in this case. The state pathologist that um, first examines the body. He is just like, no, that's not true. He could have tied it. But he doesn't explain how. And if that man is not already dead, I wish him a very die. I am not impressed with him at all so his parents who are no fools hired an independent pathologist of their own to re-examine the body because they were like this case makes no sense and also i hate you um the the independent pathologist found that it was far more likely that he'd been strangled first and then hanged and his reason he actually explains himself and his reasoning is that a ligature mark is found all the way around the neck which would be very unusual in a hanging. So if you think about it, if there's something around your neck, gravity is going to pull it against, like, right under your chin, mm-hmm. right? But it's not going to pull it tight to, like, under your ears or the back of your neck. No. That would be you being strangled. Um, And that from the ligature mark, it looks like someone came from behind to strangle him. There's also no mark from a knot. Like, you would think there would be something on the back of his head from the knot in the shoelace, and there isn't. Right, because I suppose you could say if if the body twisted, maybe it caused some sort of tourniquet effect. But you would expect to see, yeah, the knot on the back. And that doesn't exist, apparently. I mean, also, I'm assuming that a pathologist has looked at other people that have died from hanging, and if you don't usually see ligatures that, like, marks like that, then... Exactly. What's the most... What's the most likely scenario? Exactly. The simplest explanation is probably true. This looks like someone who was strangled. So the original pathologist says, oh, well, he doesn't have a knot mark because that would have been in his hairline. And then the new pathologist laughs and laughs and is like, yeah, what but he's hair? like, he has really, cause you know, he's really closely clopped hair, particularly in the back where that would have been. You still would have seen it. It's not how that works. No. Um, we, there's a diagram in the episode of the jail cell that Andre was in and it's 
it seemed kind of unusual to me and that there's like one holding cell area where there was like 12 prisoners and connected to that was a bathroom area. And in the back of that is a shower. So Andre was put in the cell with 12 prisoners that had access to a bathroom and shower and then is found, supposedly found hanging in the shower. But what inmates reported is that Andre was removed from the holding cell, gone for a period of time, and then returned to the cell in a wheelchair where he's wheeled to the back shower stall. And See, then I wonder why. And then later his body is discovered hanging when someone's like oh that guy never came out well he was probably already dead yeah why are they pulling him back in in a wheelchair yeah this was a young 18 year old healthy man (laughs) so in 1993 civil rights groups conducted a hearing in mississippi um about the suspicious death of so many prisoners for two days families for the prisoners who died under suspicious circumstances testified afterwards the u.s commission for civil rights recommended an investigation by the justice department unfortunately this is a thing where like the system just supports itself like nobody wants to rock the boat and go oh yeah like clearly you have officers or prison employees jail employees who are perpetrating but just um perpetrating violence against inmates and covering up for it by killing them but nobody wants to actually say that so mississippi got a new state medical examiner dr emily ward who examined the x-rays not the bodies from the andre jones case along with the others and she wants us to not worry that she says it's suicide And what Uh, explanation does she provide for that? She provides absolutely no explanation. She mostly just says, well, other agencies looked at it and they all said that it was a suicide. So I'm going to go along with them. And that's kind of not a re-examination, actually. That's Uh, not like... There is a problem in forensic science where it doesn't doesn't hold up to the scrutiny that other scientific fields have. There isn't double-blind testing. There isn't reconfirmation of the results. You often, usually, when like a fingerprint examiner or something is looking at a fingerprint, they know if that's a suspect's fingerprint or not. Ideally, (laughs) they shouldn't know that because that's going to taint their interpretation. So in this case where Dr. Emily Ward is just looking at x-rays that she already knows is from the Andre Jones case, and she already knows all these agencies signed off, and she's brand new at this job, is she going to be the person that's like, actually, this is pretty fucking suspicious? Yeah. Because she's not looking at it cold. She's not actually a a set of fresh eyes. And she's also not independent. No, exactly. I don't know. It's only going to hurt her career. It's only going to cost her to say, actually, there might be something to this. Like, why don't we look into it? It's that's only that's going to be a huge headache for the state and for everyone else. Right. It's and for her specifically. For her specifically. Instead of just being like, well, if all these other agencies signed off on it, which obviously they also are incentivized to do, then there's no reason for me to question it. And that's not proof. That's not evidence of anything. That's just being a coward. Unfortunately, this horrible case ends with the sad update that Andre Jones's family filed one lawsuit against the state of Mississippi and another against the federal government over Andre's death, but both were dismissed due to lack of evidence. Because even though this is all fishy as hell, there's nothing that suggests who did it. 
there's not like a specific person for them to go after. And also the state and federal government are working against them. So no justice for them. They (sighs) lost their son. It's horrible. This case sucks. It's horrible. And it's it's, uh, still going on and we've learned nothing. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) It's great. Fortunately, we do have a a bit of a palate cleanser. Oh, this is lovely. This one's good. This one is good. I don't have very many notes on this because it's a really short segment, but it is honestly really good. So if you have to skip over the last two mysteries to get to this one and just see a happy reunion, you do what you got to do. So this is a last love. And we are looking for the family of Terry Christie Derby. Uh, So Terry Christie Derby is searching for her birth family after she was abandoned in a car as an infant. On the evening of October 2nd, 1961, the Betcher family, uh, I feel like I pronounced that terribly. The Betcher family was leaving Baptist Hospital in Jacksonville, Florida, when their son, Alan, noticed that there was a baby in the backseat of the car. And the reenactment of this is kind of cute because <laughs> Alan is like mom dad there's a baby in the backseat and they're like yeah 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 whatever Alan <laughs> he's like no there's a baby in our car and at that point they're like oh my god they're like whoa you're not just shitting us like usual we gotta get this baby to the hospital so at first his parents thought he was joking but as but as soon as they saw the baby for themselves they swooped in pulled her out ran her back into the hospital um she was more than uh, no more than 72 hours old and weighed eight and a half pounds local papers like they want to do we've seen a few of these nicknamed her baby girl x which sounds like uh, the origin story for a superhero yeah <laughs> or a super villain maybe i'm not sure <laughs> It's kind of an X-Men name, yeah. Baby Girl X. Baby Girl X. She lived in foster homes for five and a half months before she was adopted by William and Mary Lou Christie of Tallahassee. They named her Therese, I think is how you pronounce it. Or they, she goes by Terry for short. She always knew that she was adopted, but it wasn't until she was a teenager that she started to ask her adoptive parents about her birth family. Her adoptive mother, Mary Lou, was reluctant to tell her the truth, but eventually did disclose to her what happened. Um, They went to the library where she found several articles about her abandonment. Um, She has no hard feelings. She she harbors no hard feelings towards her mother. She believes that her mother was probably scared um, and she probably did care for her because she left her in a place where she would be found um, quickly and where she would, you know. It was also at a hospital. Right. Yeah. So she's now 32 years old and has two young children of her own and wants to learn about her past and her real family. She also was very specific that she she was like, it's just weird not to know anything about yourself, like your birth time. And I was like, oh, this bitch wants to get her chart done. <laughs> she's like, I'll never know my rising sign. I don't know what time I was born. She doesn't even know the day she was born, actually. Because they, odd. they only were able to like narrow down a 72-hour Sure, period sure. of time so she could have been you know you know when is your birthday you don't know which is weird so this is solved and this is where it's super cute because as it's the result so of the broadcast terry learned that her biological mother unfortunately had passed away um her name was edith campbell and she died um i think just a few months before the broadcast so sad which is very sad however she learned that she had a sister and three brothers so her sister was Cecilia, and her brothers were Philip, Paul, and Chris, and they are reunited in possibly the, one of the cutest Lost Love reenact, re, re, reunions 
to date. They're in, they Unsolved Mysteries clearly set up this hotel for them. There's a little buffet. They walk her down the hall. She's wearing her best sunflower vest. Uh-huh. I wrote that down, too. <laughs> Matching green shorts. Mm-hmm. Love of it. Of course. Of course. A whole look. And she walks into this ballroom, and her siblings could not be more excited to see her. In fact, one of her brothers, and I forget which one he is, but he's wearing very short blue shorts with a matching uh blue hawaiian shirt he's got quite a mustache and a very long braid (laughs) and he is like there is just a spiritual connection i she walked in and i knew it right away like the cosmos told me that she is my sister and we had that connection and i was like you are awesome (laughs) i yeah that dude is so cool i don't know how well him and terry got along they seem like very different people but (laughs) he was very open to this experience and i praise him for that he had a red mustache that i named earth love (laughs) and i think he's earth love vibe going i think he's our mvm just because i like his whole deal he does have a a, you know a very chill vibe yeah Um, he was just like yeah, like, I already love this woman. We're, like, karma has brought us together, and I could have told you that she was my sister. And, like, he's just, like, he's he's diving right in. I think that's what Terry needs, that family bond or oh, that absolutely. family support. And I think also now she'll be able to get a little bit more, even though her mother passed away, and that's sad, her siblings will be able to tell her, like, what was going on in her mother's life, maybe, that like having a child at that time was not such a good idea well and one of her brothers and i forget which who is who um but one of the other brother uh who had like the coral color polo shirt he Uh said that it probably tore his his mom he said there's nothing their mother loved more in the world than her children and he is certain that it probably haunted her until the day she died that she had to give up i'm sure terry and it is just really unfortunate that she missed meeting her mother by mere months but but she did have this lovely reunion with her siblings and do you or do you not want the sad ending to the story oh no all right tell me rip the band-aid off i gotta know unfortunately so terry remarried and took the last name of grimes sadly she passed away in 2011 at the age of 49 When we were starting this podcast, Mike and Josh of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries warned us that there is an unsolved mysteries curse and that you will look people up that should still be alive. They were not murdered in the segment and they were not that old (laughs) or dead. And it seems kind of true. I swear every episode we find we look at the unsolved mysteries wiki and we find out that all these people died at like 55. Yeah, it's sad it is the unsolved mysteries curse yeah okay our last mystery for day is a wanted though it's i would have put this in the investigators category myself but they didn't ask me so in the fall of 1993 the entire country was touched when 12 year old polly klaus was abducted from her home in northern california and savagely murdered so the reason that we're bringing this up is we're not actually talking about that case but we're talking about the Um, composite sketch of that subject that was widely distributed and it turned out to be very accurate and this that led to the arrest of richard allen davis who was the murderer at the time of the thing he had been he was in jail and he had been charged with the kidnap and murder of polly the sketch was drawn by janine boland who is unsolved mysteries tells us a sought after suspect graphic artist 
She got her start because she used to work at a sheriff's station in Oregon. I'm not sure exactly what she did, but in the reenactment, she's shown filing. Uh, you know, woman's work at the uh, at the sheriff's station. And while she was working there, she often heard officers talk to witnesses and victims and noticed, and she didn't like it. <laughs> she noticed that officers frequently cut people off and didn't allow them to speak. That they would be like, so what kind of hair did they have? And they would be going like, well, it was kind of sandy, but oh, okay, sandy, right? Like they weren't letting them tell their full story. And she realized that that was absolutely affecting the quality of the suspect sketches. Which just in watching the show, we can corroborate that. We have seen some some terrible sketches that barely even look like a human. So I'm not super surprised that Janine thought that she could do better. And when she told this to her supervisor, apparently her supervisor gave her one of the hardest cases available, which I feel like they don't say this, but my impression was like, shut up, Janine. Here, here's a case that you'll never be able to solve. So she was given an unsolved rape from a few months prior that had absolutely no leads. And we get a reenactment of her. I hope, hopefully not the victim having to go through that again, but she a reenactment of her talking to the witness and putting them at ease and actually listening to what they're saying and other things that you might think of as slightly feminine, a more feminine approach to uh, getting a witness or victim to tell you what someone looked like instead of just being like, oh yeah, how many scars did he have? Oh, great. Well, and imagine that taking an approach that doesn't re-traumatize the victim. Yeah, it it was novel. Yeah. So um, she soon realized that it helped to talk about something else for the most of the time so the witnesses could relax. And actually, as a result, a direct result of that new sketch she was given in the unsolvable case, a suspect was finally arrested and convicted. Janine's reputation grew from there. So now we get into this case that's actually the wanted that they have a sketch by Janine of this wanted person, not only as James, and they're hoping that her sketch will bring James to justice. So this other example is the case of 16-year-old Jonathan Francia of Albuquerque, New Mexico. On January 12, 1994, Jonathan was in his car behind a restaurant when he was abducted. This case is super weird, and I do not have a good grasp of it. Five days later, his charred body, okay, a charred body was found, in Jonathan's car, believed to be Jonathan's. It seems like the idea of that is based more on the car than the body. Mm-hmm. One of his killers goes by Jason and is still at large. So Janine met with a key witness to the case named Scott, and we get a reenactment using Scott um, to show us how this works. Um, I've debated how I was going <laughs> to deal with this moment, and I never really came to a satisfactory conclusion. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries would like us to know that Scott is clean and single and neat. And you go sort of like, all right, I don't really see what that has to do with anything. But there is a moment later where Scott sort of reveals his inner truth to us. And I might be interpreting it wrong, but I just hope wherever Scott is today that he's happy and he's comfortable with himself. So Scott had met Jason on January 13th, 1994. This is a totally weird story, but you know what? It's Albuquerque. He had a friend staying with him and they were, so 
He had a friend staying with him. She had her children there as well. And they were waiting for her husband to arrive. And when her husband eventually showed up, he was had a stranger with him. And that stranger was Jason. This cannot be farther from an experience. Like, I would never <laughs> I know. be in a situation where just random people... <laughs> Just show up at my house. Show I'm so introverted that I can't even imagine. Show up at your house, work on their car, and use your shower. And you've never met this person, of course. Okay. Oh my God. So here is Scott's description of Jason. My first impression of Jason was, oh boy, this guy dresses like a cowboy. You know, tall, slender, kind of attractive. The girls would be attracted to him. <laughs> I don't know. You could say that reveals nothing. Uh, but I will point out that Scott remembers his entire outfit. Uh, James had what he thought was red clay on his hands, but was probably blood. And then he uses Scott's shower, which I also think is totally weird, but maybe James was into it. The suspects also suspiciously washed the car. And then when Scott like looks over there, they like slammed the trunk closed. These are a lot of things that, like, maybe wouldn't raise your suspicions at the time, but looking back on it, you're like, you're like huh. oh, yeah, he had red stuff on his hands, and he really needed to take a shower, and then they washed their whole car? A stranger has never shown up at my house and demanded to take a shower, or even just asked, <laughs> and I'm really thankful for that now, because I would hate to go back, like, look back and be like, oh, yeah, so that guy was a murderer? Yeah, he did. He did have red stuff on his hands. Ugh, yeah, yeah. And he used shower. In hindsight, yeah. and he, he washed his car and he slammed the trunk short. Guy was kind of hot though, <laughs> which is basically the testimony we get from or account we get from Scott. Um. Oh, and also with slamming the trunk closed, that Jonathan's body was found in the trunk of the car. Oh, also they asked for a gas can. I mean. <laughs> Okay, but then they got in the car and drove away, and that was the last Scott ever saw of Jason. That was the end of his bizarre encounter with a hot, murderous cowboy. The charred remains were found four days later. Strangely, two days after confessing to the crime... It's okay, okay. I don't know if I made this clear, but there was two men who were the suspects. One of them had been captured. One of them was only known as James. The man who had already been captured was Paul Richardson, that was his that was Scott's friend's husband and he commits suicide by hanging in his jail cell after he confesses. Okay. Okay. That had to be in the same episode about how suspicious it is that all these people in Mississippi died. Yeah, and some mysteries didn't curate this one super well. So now I'm like, well, maybe he didn't commit suicide. Maybe maybe Paul Richardson didn't even confess. I don't know. This whole thing is so weird. So Unsolved Mysteries tells us that finding the remaining killer now depends on Janine's sketch. And Scott describes the sketch as pretty, pretty close. <laughs> he is not willing to say that it's exact, but he will say that it's pretty close. Um, there is a cop mustache in here I called the magician's touch, which is something people use to describe Jeannie. Jeannie also ends up drawing Jason in three different hats that Scott had seen him wear during that period of time. <laughs> Unfortunately, there is not an update to this that I found. The Unsolved Mysteries wiki is literally just about Janine, and 
She went on to author a book about her 28 years of experience entitled Portraits of Guilt that was published in 2000. Um, let's see what the Jonathan Francia thing says. Unresolved. In 1994, Tarina Richardson was charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy to fraud, two counts of hindering prostitution, and one count of petty theft in the... Oh, so this is the wife. Interesting. Um, oh. And one count of petty theft in the case of Jonathan Francia. She admitted to having seen the dead body of Francia and poured gasoline into the body. She claimed that her husband, Paul Richardson, had made her watch as he and, quote, Jason disposed of the body. Uh, at the time, she said, Jason is alive. He is in Texas or maybe right here in Albuquerque. And I find that hard to believe because I Albuquerque is a city, but it's also like kind of a small town. Yeah. It's definitely not where you go to hide because you're going to bump into them at the grocery store like in two days. So... I'm not sure about that part. Texas, sure. Um, in April 1995, the murder charges against her were dropped, however. Doesn't say why. She still faced several years in prison for a probation violation. In June, she pleaded guilty to a probation violation and was released for time served. Jason's identity has yet to be revealed. However, prosecutors have stated they believe he is deceased. In one of his one of her statements to police, Trina claimed that Paul killed Jason shortly after Jonathan's murder to keep him from talking. So, um, it's despite the three hats in the sketch, uh, we don't know where Jason is. He's probably in my yard right now, <laughs> coming to get me. I don't know where else he could be. And I hope Scott is at peace with himself. Yeah. But that's the end, folks. That brings that's us it. to another. The conclusion of another chaotic episode of Unsolved Mysteries. That was mummies. I would love systemic racism. Uh, cowboy wear. Uh, Do you feel we got like a lot going earlier on. in the this podcast we were able to have we were able to talk about episodes of Unsolved Mysteries that we didn't struggle to articulate <laughs> complex issues. I don't know. I feel like it. There was definitely a point where we. At first, I think we were slightly more timid about things that we were willing to say because True. we were like, man, the internet's going to yell at us. And after a while, we were like, oh, but only about our voices. Never mind. <laughs> that we have no control over. Um, like, where's the magic yeah. rock segment? There's a <laughs> statue that blinks. Like, you, yeah. This See, this episode was trying to make the mummy a magic rock, but that just ended up being about racism, too. So <laughs> that's what happens when you found a country on racism shows up everywhere yeah. all the you time right. even on unsolved mysteries i'm sorry i'm sorry i can't keep this politics free that one person anyway how are we gonna rate this jumbled bag of misery and delight well let's start with our categories so mysteriousness is number one okay we don't know what happened to james um and we do know what happened to andre but we don't know exactly and the mummy is missing that so. mummy is still out there somewhere so that is a bit mysterious even though it's we probably know why it's a mummy but uh i it's a hesitant thumbs up for me yeah i think i'll go with that too reenactments hmm i really like the reenactment of the mummy tent that's true that was a good one and mm. i feel like all the other ones were just kind of serviceable yeah. So, actually, 
I don't even care. Who cares? Yeah, they were fine. I don't know. I don't have anything <laughs> to say about them one our, way or another. Our own category. I was like, whatever. Ever. Moving on. Fashion. Oh, there was some great fashion. Oh, Lost yeah. Love. Yeah. Lost Love was killing it. I actually really like this sketch of Jason in three different hats. So that's going to like crack the case. I would like to get that and just hang that up on my wall. Um, no, that's weird. But um, I'm going to say thumbs up for fashion for sure. I think I agree with you. A thumbs up feels right. Um, Robert Stack, I feel like, did he only show up in that quarry? Was he, did he make any other appearances in this episode? I mean, he did wax poetic about the desert. Which That's true. Always does. But he failed to come with one of those wooden frogs. So, well, thumbs, thumbs down. down. <laughs> Thank you for agreeing with me. Thumbs it's down. Obvious thumbs down, that one. Uh, yeah. Whatever. I I just want to move on from this episode. <laughs> on I know. our Robert scale, where do you fall on this one? I liked I, The Last Love, but does it carry the episode? Everything no, else is just sad and problematic. Yeah. The Last Love is too short. Yeah. And Andre's case is heartbreaking. And there's apparently, well, there's probably countless other cases like that. It's not even those 49. So, two. I give this a two. Yeah. Two. Because I don't want to watch it again, and it also made me very sad, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. <laughs> I feel done with it. Let's move on to our recommendations. Okay. I know we all miss Snack Hour, which hopefully Samantha and I will be able to record in person again soon, and Snack Hour will return. Well, I have a Snack Hour-related recommendation, and also an Albuquerque-related recommendation, which is that my friend Nicole for my birthday earlier this month sent me some cookies from Albuquerque and they're like the best cookies that I've ever had. Is this the, the one that Lenny ate? No. Thank goodness. Okay, good. Oh. <laughs> I won't let him. The company is called Snuggle Cub Cookies and their logo is like two teddy bears hugging a cookie. So I got a dozen of these cookies in various uh, flavors and they're just like totally standard looking american cookies like chocolate chip or banana chocolate chip or their my favorite one is like cherry and something but they just look like totally normal cookies in fact i feel like paul hollywood would pick them up and say that they're underbaked they're very <laughs> pale but they're also like the most delicious cookies that i've ever had in my life oh and they're so good that as I was eating the last one, I was literally on my computer ordering more. <laughs> or I was like, well, Max's birthday's in May. We better get more cookies. <laughs> that was just like my flimsy excuse. Um, they have like little Albuquerque related names. Let's see what the, what are some, some, so they're called like the Old Town or Route 66 or Carlsbad. And they're so good. I didn't get to try this one called the Breakman, and it sounds amazing. It's um butterscotch oatmeal with salted caramel and pretzels. Oh my god, that sounds so good. What? Why? Why didn't I get to have that? Okay. Um, the Madrid double chocolate espresso, sea salt, and pecan. Um, yeah. Enchanted sunset. Which one's that? cranberry orange pecan i don't know there i guess there's not really a whole lot to say about cookies but they really are the best like cookie cookies that i've ever had <laughs> and you can get them from 15 dollars for a half dozen 
So support Albuquerque business, Snuggle Cup cookies. Just or really just send them to us so we can eat them. I mean that's an option too. That's Consider my that, my real recommendation. I'm like, okay, why is it called? This is made by Bill and Suzanne, a husband and wife living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, blah blah blah. Oh, it's called Snuggle Cups because that's what they call their kids. Aww. Aww. Cute. Who cares? Cookies are delicious. <laughs> I wish I was eating one right now. There's a there's a coconut chocolate chip one, which I know not everybody likes coconut and is very coconutty. But if you do, oh, I love coconut. Oh, it's so delicious. You know what I was almost going to be my recommendation today because I honestly have nothing to recommend. Um, I was going to recommend mangoes with coconut cream whipped cream what <laughs> that sounds the thing like so I good made the other day it's extremely easy you just get coconut cream which you can buy it in a can at yeah your grocery store and you just whip it in with like a i used my electric mixer and you whip it until it turns into whipped cream and you just like put some of that in a glass put some mango on top of it put more it's a parfait kind of type thing yeah oh my gosh it was so delicious i put little coconut flakes on top <gasps> i want that right now it was I'm so mad I, and I think it's healthy. I don't know. It seems sure. like it must not be. You could probably make the same thing with Cool Whip, and honestly, I might try it. But the coconut and mango flavor. No, delicious. I definitely want that. I definitely want the coconut. Delicious and refreshing. I suppose in place of your recommendation, I'll give an unrecommendation. Oh, do that. Because, yeah, I really, I mean, I guess I guess that mango thing could be my recommendation, but I really don't have anything else. Uh, I recently watched the English mystery show Mayday. Which is a pun on the event happening on May Day, but also like May Day, May Day. Get it? Get it? Um, I had never heard of this show and I saw it on Amazon Prime and I was like, oh, that seems like the sort of thing I would be into. Weird that hasn't been recommended to me. And then I watched it and I went, oh, that's why it's <laughs> terrible. That's why nobody has talked about this. It's dog shit. It has Littlefinger in it, whatever that guy's name is. So horribly miscast that it's mind-boggling. The worst casting I've ever seen in my life. He's just like deadbeat dad of a teenage boy who's just like playing Halo and telling the kid to mind his own business. And honestly, Mac and I were like confused, so confused by the relationship where we were like, was he not in this kid's life all like until recently? <laughs> like is he actually an uncle? Like, why is he acting like, like, it's just like baffling. But what's so funny about it is because they want there to be like, you know, to, to keep that element of mystery. They want there to be multiple suspects for this murder, but it just means that everyone in town is acting suspiciously 100% of the time. And no one acts like any of those people ever. <laughs> like, everybody is, like, waking up and it's like, well, I got to be a red herring today. Better go into the woods, like, menacingly. And <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's so bad. I, in a way, couldn't turn away because I had to know what the ending was going to be. And then I was like, wow, that was a huge waste of my time. That was so stupid. I think we could give more on recommendations on this show. I think, I don't know how other people feel about those, but I kind of like them. People were like, but Liz, I wasn't going to watch that anyway. And I'm like, well, don't. <laughs> well, good. It's not very good. Unless you just want to, I guess, have kind of a laugh at that little finger guy because such a bad part for him. Wow. Weird. Very weird. It was it was honestly like baffling a lot of times to try to figure out what was going on because everybody was acting so strangely. <laughs> 
And then it turns out like, oh, no, they just wanted you to think that literally anyone in town could be the murderer. And I was like, this town needs to check its water supply. Like, this is not okay. Something more than just a murder is going on here. (laughs) But that brings us to a close. That's it. Friends and enemies. Thank you for bearing with us. Thank you for being with us again today. We hope you're doing well. We hope you are. And we hope that if you are so inclined, you will follow us on social media. That you will leave us the only type of review that we accept, a five-star review, and that you might end it with the words holy f please include include the phrase holy f Uh, that's just a suggestion but the five stars thing that's a rule that's not a suggestion that's That's like that's like hard science right there um if you have a spooky story we just cleaned out our inbox so it's a great time to email a paranormal (laughs) experience that you've had over to the show and that is perhaps as you podcast at gmail.com if you have a few extra dollars just burning a hole in your pocket, you can put that into electronic form and send it to us on Patreon, patreon.com. Search Perhaps It's You. You'll find us. We just recorded an episode about how Bigfoot is an alien. Honestly, it might be my favorite episode yet. And I'm not just saying that. I think Samantha is so hilarious <laughs> in this episode. I was just listening to it before we started recording she is so frustrated (laughs) by the assertion that bigfoot is an alien and her it's just it delights me it brings joy into my life yeah i really didn't like that documentary and didn't enjoy watching it sexy samantha is something that we all need more of so cough up a dollar so you can listen to that it's a true gem and that's our 40th bonus episode on Patreon. Oh, so my if goodness. you give us a dollar, you will get 40 more episodes unlocked instantly. So Why it's do kind we of do the this? best deal in town. I don't Why know. Why do we do We are bad at business. Okay. Also, oh, we need you to slam. We need you to do us a solid and slam <laughs> that motherfucking subscribe button. And I want either your finger to be bruised or your phone to have a crack in it. One or the other or you didn't do it hard enough. And is that it? I think that's it. Is that, all that, is that all the things? Okay. Well, if you are now fully vaxxed, you are in the United States, you are allowed to go out and solve mysteries again. I will allow it. But um, you're also welcome to just like stay home and keep barking too. Yeah. Either way is fine. Yeah. That's, that's a personal decision. I'm not going to judge you for that. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>